Hello and welcome to the Sense of Place podcast. Now today's episode is going to be a little bit different from usual as it's just going to be me trying to keep you entertained. Um, So if you fancy sticking around I thought we could explore sense of place within photography and we're going to hone in on a style developed in the 1900s called autochrome. Now, autochrome was one of the first forms of colour photography, and while it wasn't the first, it was the first that was made commercially available and was much more practical than the processes that came before. More on that later. But the aim of today's episode is to be sort of a little introductory, whet your appetite to explore the world of autochrome and also the link between photography and a sense of place. I feel like photography can say so much about a place, about the people and time period. I think pictures give us an impression of a specific moment in time and these impressions, they evoke emotions within us. Whether it was the photographer's intention to evoke certain emotions in an image by composing and staging the shot to some degree or whether it was a candid street scene capturing the realities of day-to-day life, our ideas of what a place or period in time is like is highly influenced by photographs. And I think this is particularly true when it comes to our perception of what the past was like. I think old photos can either, you know, they can help bring us close to to the places and the people within them, or sometimes they can make us feel in awe, quite detached and intrigued by a time gone by and the people and places that are in those images. So as you can tell, there's certainly a strong correlation between photography and a sense of place. And I mean, it's not the first time photography has come up in conversation on the podcast. In episode 14, when I chatted with Bob Fisher all about hauntology, we both discussed the strong hauntological impact old photographs had on us. I'm going to play you a little clip just here. This is a really big early memory for me. I think I would have been about six at the time. Um, and it was being around, it was, I was certainly at my grand's house. Um, and you know, as often happens when you're with older relatives, the photo albums come out and we had, we had a very battered, a very old brown suitcase in the family, um, that was just full of black and white photographs from, you know, I mean, going back to the thirties, certainly thirties, forties, fifties photographs. Um, I've, st- I've got it actually. It's been passed down to me now. It's really? in the spare room. <laughs> yeah, I have to keep it at a distance. I'm still a little bit nervous, but I remember going through these photographs and suddenly realizing, and I think because like death was a concept that I was only just really coming to terms with at that age. Um, the fact that that people died and and left us and you were you know they wouldn't be around anymore um and i suddenly realized as we were looking through mm-hmm. these photographs that virtually all of the people that we were looking at were now dead but yet they, they you know they were but yet in a sense they weren't because they were in our front room captured in these photographs looking alive and i got i mean it's got, i guess this goes back to it's it's not quite Jacques Derrida, but it's certainly the spectre of the past kind of hanging over us and 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 bleeding into the present. And I found that really unsettling. In episode six, I also spoke to Cindy Vasco, an urban explorer whose craft is photography. 
And as you'll hear in this following clip, it was a photograph that had a really strong emotional impact on Cindy and is actually what started her on her journey as an urban explorer. Several hours of research, I returned to my computer instead of Googling Glendale, Arizona Casino. I just entered the word Glendale and my page populated with different links as well as a strip of images about Glendale, but not the casino. The images were of an abandoned Glendale asylum in Maryland. And I had a visceral reaction to one image of the asylum. It was uh, a long corridor, a brick and glass lined corridor uh, connecting two buildings. The glass was broken on the floor and there were these mature vines crawling through the windows with these striking beams of light coming through. And it just, as I said, sent a visceral reaction in, in me. And I, clicked on the image and was forwarded to an abandoned photographer's website and fell into the rabbit hole until 4 a.m. I studied. Yeah, hunt. that's how it goes. Once you yeah. start, you can't stop. Yes, I know. Keep seeing them all. I know. It, was, it, was, it was nonstop. And, and then so the next day, I, ne- I must say I never had such a strong reaction to an art form. And, and I knew instantly as soon as I saw that image that I wanted to pursue this photographic uh, genre. So the next day, I researched local abandoned opportunities and discovered the strange subculture of urban exploration. I never even heard of that term. And I requested membership to a local urbex group, uh, the DC Urban Explorers. And within two weeks, my photographic vision was set in motion and hasn't waned. Um, I have the added bonus of having close friendships with several in this group. And we are a diverse group, young and old, of like-minded risk-taking photographers. Um, And I haven't stopped this craziness since 2012. So yes, one second can change a life. (laughs) I mean, there's probably even more episodes I've done where photography has come into the discussion, but they're just the ones that came to mind right now. So I think photography's always been there, adding to the discussion on sense of place and the podcast. Now, continuing this discussion on the impact photos have on us, a friend once said to me when they were a child, they asked their mum, when did people stop seeing in black and white and start seeing in colour? Now, I mean, that is just such a simple thing, but I just feel like it sums up beautifully how influential photography is on our is on our perception of the past. You know, obviously people didn't see in black and white, but if you're a kid and that's what you see, you know, you you kind of just assume that or just encompass that within your thoughts. And I always think actually Victorian images are a particularly good example of this. I think they're an ear in time for me that feels so removed from us. Black and white images, they tend to be staged, they can have quite serious looks a lot of the time, unusual clothing different to ours, you know, they hardly crack a smile, Um, quite different to the way we pose ourselves in pictures now. And I think we can find it incredibly hard to relate to these people. It's as if everything was in black and white then, even though we know it wasn't. There's just sort of this element that everything was grey and serious. And I mean, obviously, people back then did have different attitudes. Um, Times have changed. But at the same token, you know, there were still people like you and me. The way they chose to present themselves in photos It just gives us an assumption of what they were like and how they wanted to be perceived. In recent years, there's been a real interest in digital colorization of old films and photographs. 
when we see people from the past in colour, it is incredible how much more like us they seem. As I mentioned briefly when we started, autochrome wasn't the first form of colour photography. There have been many different methods in order to create colour photographs over the years, whether this was manually colouring or different photographic techniques. And I may do another episode on this at some stage, but as I said today, I do want to focus on autochrome. And the reason being, the first time I saw an autochrome photograph, I was honestly just blown away. I think it's one of my favourite styles of photography I've seen because it really does evoke a strong sense of place when you look at these images. Now, before we get into that side of autochrome, I thought it'd be good to give you a brief understanding um, of its history and how the process works. And I do just want to say I'm not an expert in photography processes. So if an avid photographer or historian interested in photography is listening, I I apologise if I get anything wrong. Um, But I do think it's good for all of you listening to have a basic understanding of the autochrome process and its history. So here we go. Let's see how I get on. So autochrome was invented in France by the Lumiere brothers and they patented this process in 1903. And the way autochrome photography works is using glass plates. Now these glass plates are covered in microscopic potato starch grains and these grains are dyed green, violet, blue and orange. So when the photo is taken, light passes through the coloured starch grains and it combines to recreate a full colour image of the original subject. Obviously, I've done that in massive layman terms, like keeping it nice and simple. Um, But that is basically how it worked. Some ways you could argue it is quite simple because it used like the same method as a monochrome, a black and white camera, except for this plate had the colour on it. So because of this, photographers could use their existing cameras, meaning amateurs could try their hand at this. Autochrome plates were manufactured on a commercial scale and this began in 1907. Now, although autochromes were a huge technological advancement for their day, to create them and view them was a lot of hard work. It wasn't like today where you just click a button, you can share your image with whoever you want as many times as you want. And I think to some degree, that's another element why I really, why I really like them. They were one-offs because they were almost like a, a piece of art or a painting. Each autochrome was its own individual glass plate. And in order to view these plates, you need a bright light shining through the plate. So you wouldn't be able to display these pictures in a frame like we do today. You know, back in the day, autochromes were presented as projections or in special boxes with backlight so you could view them. And these boxes also protected them and stopped the glass plates from breaking. And not only that, when the photographers were taking the image, the subjects had to be incredibly still as the exposure time was so slow. Light was crucial, like you needed really, really good light to get the colours to pop and come out. So it wasn't the click of a button, it had to be a well thought out process of how you wanted the image to be. But the results are so worth it because these photos are are, are honestly beautiful. They have like a really lovely dreamlike quality about them. I realise you are listening to a podcast, so you know you you can't see. But I mean, if you're not driving, get on Google, have a look. Um, and we are going to get into some pictures now. 
what I've seen and some of the photographers. So if you're able to, do follow along. The first time I saw an autochrome picture, I was, like I mentioned, I was blown away because to me it felt like the closest thing to looking at a memory or a dream. The image that I saw was taken by Mervyn O'Gorman and he was a British electrical and aircraft engineer. And he had a side hobby. He was really into colour photography and some people say he was one of the pioneers when it came to autochrome. The picture I saw, it was one of a series of colour photographs he took in 1913 of his neighbour's teenage daughter who was called Christina. And it's often thought Christina was his own daughter, but this has since been proven not to be the case. Now, as I say, you are listening to a podcast and I will do my best to describe the images of Christina. And if you aren't driving while listening to this, you know, feel free to have a Google. You know, if you Google Mervyn O'Gorman Christina, um, it will come up with the image that I am talking about. And if you're a patron, I have compiled a collection of photographs for you to look at. So this image of Christina, the collection was some photos of her taken on a beach and she's wearing a bright red cloak and in some shots, a bright red swimsuit, which by today's standards, it looks like a play suit. And the first one I saw was Christina sitting on the pebbled beach with a little wooden boat behind her. And it was hard to believe this photograph was taken over a hundred years ago. And I think given the fact this series of images was taken on a beach, it adds to that timeless quality of the images. I mean, I suppose beaches look more or less the same throughout time. You know, there was no cars or shop fronts or horse and cart to help you place this image in its correct time period. And that in itself was completely fascinating to me. Yet the thing that struck me most about the image, as I briefly mentioned, was the almost dreamlike quality it had felt like when I looked at this picture, it felt like it was the closest thing to what our memories and dreams look like in our head. And although modern photography captures our memories with such clarity, they don't look the way we remember things inside our head. But with autochrome, it honestly looks like a memory that's been taken from inside somebody's head. And this just got me completely fascinated with autochrome images And I began to explore others who had taken photographs using this technique. So another famous photographer who took some wonderful autochrome images was Heinrich Kuhn. He took still life pictures such as toy drums as well as portraits of people. And his pictures really make good use of lighting. While they also have this dreamlike quality, some of his works almost have the effect of a painting. And as I mentioned, lighting was crucial to the process of capturing autochromes at their best, as were the bright colours like red and blue. So Kuhn took many pictures of his children and their nanny, and he had special clothes made in the colours of red, blue and white to highlight the vivid colours in his photos. One of my favourite images Kuhn took is of his three children. One was standing in a red dress and two others are in blue and they're kneeling over a toy of a sailing boat on the edge of the water. And I think this is one of his photographs that's hanging between the lights of a painting and a dream in appearance. I think the softness and slight haziness adds to the dreamlike quality. And I think a good way to describe his images and to be honest, a lot of autochrome images is ethereal, you know, delicate, almost out of this world look about them. 
If you want to Google Heinrich Kuhn, the the spelling of his name is H-E-I-N-R-I-C-H and then the surname K-U-H-N. And to be honest, if you just Google his name, look at Google Images, you will this image will come up and you'll see some of his other works too. Now, despite autochromes having a very dreamlike quality to them, a number of the images also managed to have a quality about them as if they were taken yesterday. You know, despite the clothes, it's incredible what a, a dash of colour does to these images and you somehow don't feel like they were taken over a hundred years ago. Sometimes when I look at them, I think, you know, these are just people dressed from today in period clothing. I don't know why their faces become a lot more relatable. Perhaps it's the softness of the images too that adds to that. They're not so harsh. I also just find the fact when I looked at look at these images, like the one of Christina, and you know, just hard to believe that they've probably been dead for such a long time. Yet they look so alive, and this and and it feels as if the images were were taken incredibly recently. And a couple of other autochromes I found this with particularly was a self-portrait, which was taken by Jacob Oli Jr. I hope I've pronounced his name right. So Jacob and then the and the surname is spelt O-L-I-E and then Jr. And he was a Dutch photographer. And this particular image he took was a self-portrait from 1913. In this image, he is sitting in front of a mirror which is above a fireplace and the mirror is draped with plants and flowers and the mantelpiece has a clock in the centre and candles on the side. He's got red hair and a beard and he's sitting in a blazer shirt and jumper and also I quite like about this if you look closely you can actually see a woman in the mirror. Again I mean he just honestly just looks like a hipster to be honest with you and you know the image is from 1913 so um, again it just makes these people feel a lot more close to us and a lot more relatable. So if you want to see that picture if you just google Jacob and then surname O-L-I-E Junior um, and just put that and self-portrait and it will come up. Another one is taken by photographer Wilhelm Tobian. Again, I apologies, I hope I pronounced his name correctly. And this image was taken a little bit later in 1928. And it's of a young woman admiring flowers in Baden Garden in Germany. Um, and she's just got that classic 20s look with the hat and the clothes. It's just such a sort of vibrant, lovely picture to look at. He, there is actually, if you Google his name, he comes up on National Geographic um, and you can see more of his pictures. So his name is spelt W-I-L-H-E-L-M and then surname T-O-B-I-E-N. Now I did actually see um, this image on a really fantastic Twitter account and I think he's also on Instagram now too and it's called Babel Colour. So B-A-B. E-L-C-O-L-O-U-R and this is run by Stuart Humphreys. Now I mean some of you might already be following him because he's kind of got a really big following in, on, on Twitter which isn't surprising but if you don't know who he is he is a digital artist who enhances early colour photographs and he's done a hell of a lot of enhancements of autochrome photographs. And I mean, to be honest with you, it is likely a lot of the images I've talked about today, he will have enhanced. 
you know, you can either Google the images you will, if you Google them, you'll probably see the original. Um, but do check out his page for enhancements because to be honest, they add even more of that sort of, it was taken yesterday. These people are wearing period clothes vibe, you know, the, the, the clarity is, um, amazing. So, uh, I have to credit with his page taking me down an even deeper rabbit hole of finding different autochrome photographers, you know, not just the well-known ones like Heinrich Kuhn. Now, obviously, a time did come when autochrome had had its day. It dominated the market of colour photography for nearly 30 years. But in 1932, there was a growing trend away from the use of glass plates towards film. And the Lumiere brothers did introduce a version of their process, which used sheet film uh, as the emulsion support. And they marketed this under the name Film Colour. Pretty quickly, this had had basically replaced autochrome glass plates. On the market at the same time was Kodachrome. Now, you might have heard of Kodachrome before. Um, I mean, we're not going to get into that today, obviously, because we're talking about autochrome. But to be honest with you, that is another really beautiful type of photography. I really love this. Is, it, it has quite um, saturated, vibrant colours. Uh, it doesn't have the dreamlike quality to it, but I also think it's another really beautiful kind of photography. So, you know, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it sparked your curiosity to go and take a look at some autochrome photographs. Um, you know, perhaps you were already aware of them, but either way, you know, I'd love to know what you actually think of them and what kind of emotions autochromes evoke in you when you look at them. For those of you on Patreon, I have compiled the images talked about as well as further resources if you'd like to delve deeper into the world of autochromes. But, you know, to conclude, I think for me, they are mesmerizing, beautiful, haunting timeless and soft all in one they just encompass so many so many qualities which make them just fascinating to look at so for anything else sense of place podcast related head over to senseofplacepod.com you can you know if you want to drop me a message there to let me know what you think of water chromes or on twitter or you know we'll be having a chat over on patreon Other than that, that's all from me. So I hope you have a good day and I will speak to you again soon.